Uh, Judges chapter number 18, if you will. Judges chapter number 18. Thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, the church this morning, middle of the summer, and what a great crowd. And uh, thankful for what God's doing and continues to do here at Grandview Baptist Church. If you are visiting, I know I've said this once or twice already, but I hope you know we're glad you're here. Thank you for coming. And if you're just passing through, it's always a joy to have you, some family. Uh, I saw, let's see here, Sarah Gardner's parents over here as well, and we're glad you're with us. And uh, thank you for being here today. Uh, Judges chapter 18, we're going to continue our series in the book of Judges. And the last few stories are really kind of show us how in just two generations, the children of Israel went from delivered out of bondage to kind of self-inflicting that bondage upon him and following after idolatry and eventually false worship. And we kind of have a character sketch of one or two people, three people, and then a, a kind of a tribe, and how it reflects on everyone in that time. But what we can also learn from it is that you and I are not too far away from that if we follow selfish pleasures and our sin nature. It's so important that we put God first in our lives and that we keep a relationship with Him. We'll talk a little bit about that this morning, but once you have found that, if you could stand to your feet, if you're physically able to, give you a chance to stretch one more time and then out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Uh, We'll just read a few verses this morning. We'll go through many more, but we'll start in verse number 14. Then answered the five men that went to spy out the country of Laish, and said unto their brethren, Do ye know that there is in these houses an ephod, and a teraphim, and a graven image, and a molten image? Now therefore consider what ye have to do. And they turned thitherward, and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, even unto the house of Micah, and saluted him. And the six hundred men, appointed with their weapons of war, which were of the children of Dan, stood by the entering of the gate. And the five men that went to spy out the land went up and came in thither and took the graven image and the ephod and the teraphim and the molten image. And the priest stood in the entering of the gate with the 600 men that were appointed with weapons of war. And these went into Micah's house and fetched the carved image, the ephod, the teraphim, the molten image, and said unto the priest unto them, What do ye? And they said unto him, Hold thy peace, lay thine hand upon thy mouth and go with us. And be to us a father and a priest. It is better for thee to be a priest unto the house of one man, or that thou be a priest unto a tribe and a family in Israel. And the priest's heart was glad. And he took the ephod and the teraphim and the graven image and went in the midst of the people. Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you again for loving us. And thank you uh, for the faithfulness of your people, Lord. And thank you for those who are serving right now so that we can be here and our children can be cared for and taught your word as well and the children's ministries and nursery. Thank you for all those who work so diligently in that area. Thank you for our teens, Lord, our junior high meeting upstairs. And thank you for those who are tuning in online, Lord. Maybe they couldn't be here because of work or sickness or health, or maybe they're out of town and appreciate their faithfulness. May they know they're loved and appreciated. Or be with those who are here in the 830 service and already have gone home and or give them safety. I pray you'll meet with us in a powerful way today. We came to hear from you, or not from a man. Lord, I know I'm not perfect, and Lord, even at best, I, I struggle with presentation and, Lord, uh, preaching. But I do know that you are powerful, and you can guide me, and you can use me, and you can flow through me. And, Lord, if I'll listen to you, listen to your spirit. Lord, your word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and divides us under. It's like a 
hammer, Lord. And I pray that it will chisel and do what it needs to do on our hearts today. Lord, I pray that you'll bring to us what we must hear. As we look at your scripture from years ago, we can find it's still relevant and applicable today in our time where we are. And may it meet us where we are. And may we, Lord, we take that next step closer to you today. We sure do love you, Lord. Be with those who may not know you. May they come to faith today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Of course, this story, as we're learning, shows how pagan influences and moral depravity can creep into every corner of Israel's culture. And what it shows us is there's a tendency in our life to allow harmless habits to have their small corners. But if we're not careful, those harmless habits can turn into dominant habitual forces in our lives. And that's what happened in these dear people. I don't think they started out thinking they would end up here, but slowly after time, they eased into that. And the values and attitudes and practice they had learned from the Canaanite people, we too can pick up from the world system. But they can be exposed by applying the light of God's truth to them. And that's why we're thankful for God's word. It is as a light into our path and a lamp into our feet. But once you see those practices, those attitudes, those values that we have gleaned maybe from the world, we can see for what they are and we can begin to uproot them. Though sometimes they're very challenging to do so. It reminds me of a story of a gardener who said this. When weeding your garden, there's an easy way to tell the difference between a weed and a vegetable or a flower. You pull on it. If it doesn't come up, it's a weed. But if it comes out easily, it's definitely not a weed. And sometimes in our life, the things that need to be uprooted the most are the hardest to do. But my dear friend, it's so worth it when we can get that uprooted out of our life. By the way, in our own Of power, it's not very easy, but with God's help, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we're thankful we serve the God of the impossible, and that Jesus came to help us with that very thing. Uh, But it takes effort, it takes concentration, it takes the ability to deal with things. It reminds me of a story about a grandma who was telling the story of her four-year-old grandson, Maverick. He was playing on the floor and asked me to come and sit and play with him. I told him to give me a minute because I had something on my mind, and I was thinking it through. He said, well, Nana, just bring your thoughts to the floor with me and play anyways. (laughs) We need to deal with things in our life sometimes, because harmless habits or harmless, meaningless sins, not a big deal, but they can eventually entrap us and ensnare us and get us to go where we certainly don't need to go. And so this morning, I want us to see really four different groups of people and the actions they took. And there'll be application in there as well, but may we learn from the story. Number one, if you're writing, we see the desperate scheming of the spies. The desperate scheming of the spies. Verse 14, then answer the five men that went to spy out the country of Laish. If you remember, these five men last week had gone to find a new land for the Danites. They did not want to take care of the Philistines. They did not want to take care of the Amorites. They did not want to deal with them. But they were in the fertile part of the land, so they had to stay in the mountains, if you will. They had to stay and and be nomadic tribe and live from day to day. And they were never truly successful, even though they were the largest of number and had the smallest amount of land to conquer. They could not do it. 
Because they did not trust and have faith in the Lord. And instead of dealing with it and, and taking care of that, they decided to send some spies out to see the land. And on the way, the spies did not go through the Jezreel Valley because that's where the Philistines and the Amorites were. They ended up going through the mountain passes, a very difficult trail, and they come upon Ephraim. They hear this man speaking religious things and find out he's a priest. And they think this is great. They ask the priest, what do we need to do? And the priest says, go and God will be with thee. Of course, the priest was lying. He had no connection with God. He was simply just a person who would have been put in position by Micah, as we know. These five men leave and they come across this beautiful valley of Laish. And they said, we need that. Of course, Laish was very lethargic in a sense where they kind of were at peace. They were safe. They didn't think anyone was going to harm them. They've lived their life for years thinking they're great. Everything's fine. And little they know, those five men who saw went home and says, Hey, we've got to go and capture us. So the Danites are going to leave God's will to go to where they think they need to go. And that kind of is where the story picks up in verse number 14. These five men went out to spy the country of Laish and said unto their brethren... Of course, they've come back now, and they says, Do ye know that there is in these houses an ephod, and a teraphim, and a graven image, and a molten image? So, what has happened here is these five spies are so enamored by this false religion that was created, they said, hey, we got to tell the world about it. This is awesome. We don't have to go uh, to Shiloh anymore. We can do our own thing. And we let me, we got to show you this. In fact, they were so believing in it because what the Levites said came to pass that they thought that all these superstitions, all these false gods with this Levite involved, that was a perfect recipe for success and God's blessing on their lives. And so they go to to try to convince the tribe of Dan that, hey, I know there's 600 of us, just soldiers, not counting the men, the children, all our animals, all our stuff. I know it's going to be an arduous drive and we got to go all the way through the mountains to get there, but it will be worth it. It will be worth it. And so they said this phrase in verse number 14, now therefore consider what you have to do. Basically, they tell the people, hey, not only do we have the perfect place to live, That will be easy to capture, but we've got the perfect new religion for that. That will ensure blessing. You know, all these years, God's going to give us this blessing we never received. By the way, it was because of their disobedience. They said that blessing is sure to happen if we go to Laish. So they convince everybody. And so the Bible says in verse number 15, They turned thitherward and came to the house of the young man, the Levi, even unto the house of Micah, and saluted him. So once again, they go across the house of Micah. They come to that little village that Micah has established with his shrine. He has this little cult folding here, uh, servants. He has all these people around, and they're kind of got a growing community. And they come up to the gate, and, and they salute uh, Micah. They salute the priest, and the priest comes out and sees a big group of people, probably several thousand. The Bible says 600 men and children. Ain't no way men are going to travel all the way with children by themselves, right? So all the ladies are with them, okay? And all the animals. I mean, this is a big group. There's probably a dust cloud starting to settle. And Mike is thinking, wow, my colony is going to grow even more. And the Levite comes out to talk to him. And the Bible says while they're doing that, uh, verse 17, the five men that went to spy out the land went up and came in thither. What did they do? While the priest is distracted, these five men says, hey, we know exactly where to go. Now, they might just be stopping to talk to the priest, but we are not leaving 
without those graven images, that teraphim, that shrine. We are going to take all that with us. We know exactly where, as the Bible says, they went up. There was an upper chamber. We see that. And, uh, and I believe in 2 Kings 23, verse 12, the altars were on the top of the upper chamber. This was very customary. And they were going to go up. They were going to grab all these valuables while the priest was distracted, by why Micah was distracted. And they were going to slide into the 600 men and no one would be the wiser. Well, unfortunately, the Levite uh, saw it, and the five men went up, and these went into Micah's house and fetched the carved image, the ephod and tear from the molten image. They come down, and uh, uh, they're getting ready to get in the group again. That brings us to point number two. We see the scheming of the spies, and number two, we see the self-promoting of the Levite. The self-promoting of the Levite. So, the Levite, uh, even though the men thought they were sneaky and they got away with it, the Levite saw what they were doing in verse number 18. And the priest stood in the entering of the gate with the 600 men. Most likely these 600 men were trying to distract the priest while the spies went up there. And the Bible says in verse number 17, once again, the priest stood in the gate. And then the priest said unto them, what do ye? I mean, these men are so blinded by superstition. They're so blinded by these false gods. They're so blinded by this false promise that they thought come true that they can't wait to get up and get on their way. And so the priest sees them and says, hey, what do ye? Well, the Bible goes on the same verse 19. And they said unto him, hold thy peace. He's thinking, you can't steal from me as a priest. And certainly you can't steal these things that are supposed to be worshiping our God. You can't steal these things. And the men, of course, responded and said, Hold thy peace, lay thine hand upon thy mouth. In other words, shut up. You know? It's like the, the typical thing, or shh, don't talk. We have this in mind. We have something in mind for you too. It's going to benefit you. And uh, the Bible says there, And go with us, and be to us a father and a priest. Now didn't Micah say the same thing to this man? Uh, this was something that he may have thought he never would ever get the opportunity to be. And now he is getting paid 10 pieces of silver a year, which is a livable income. He's got two vestals of clothes, which isn't bad. He's got the ability to direct and influence and counsel a family. He's got a nice warm bed to sleep in. He's got food to eat. So he's got a decent life. But now he is given another offer. And of course... He says, I want to make you to come with us. Because really, these pieces of silver, these gods, are really not, they're really useless to us, even though they're valuable, unless you know how to use them. You know? It's like uh, trying to uh, work on something that you have no idea what you're doing. And you get all the parts in the mail and think, okay. If you're like me, what do you do? You look up YouTube, and you get more confused. Or you call somebody (laughs) that knows what they're doing, right? And so they think that, though we have all the pieces, we have all the parts, but they have the recipe for blessing. That recipe will not be any good unless they have the baker to put it all together. And so they said, why don't you come with us? They, in their mind, thought this Levite was a difference maker. He was going to be the game changer. When in all reality, this, he wasn't even supposed to be a priest. He was only ordained because Micah had put him in, who had no clarification. He had no ability to do that. And so the Bible goes on to say 
there, it is better for thee to be a priest unto the house of one man, or that thou be a priest unto a tribe and a family in Israel. So now they're starting to, uh, you know, trying to sweet talk him a little bit. Sales job. Let's see here. You can get 10 pieces of silver a year. You can get room and board. You can get influence over a little colony. Or you can come. We'll take good care of you. You can influence a whole tribe. You can help us uh, uh, start a new family. And you can be over thousands of people versus a few people. Why don't you come with us? So the priest thinks long and hard about it. No, he doesn't. Look at verse number 20. And the priest's heart was glad. He says, oh, what a great offer. And so he took the ephod, teraphim, the graven image, and went into the midst of the people. Now, why did he, was he glad? Because he had promised promotion. He didn't just consent. He assisted them now. And he says, okay, let's do this. He went in the midst of the people. Now, why did he go in the midst of the people? Well, partly for protection. Because he has all these valuables. Now, keep in mind, several hundred pieces of silver built most of these things. So this is expensive, valuable. Very, Mike was a very wealthy man. And he, he takes the stuff. And also, it was an exact image of how the procession was done leaving the, in the wilderness. The, the priest was always in the middle of the people. And so they were trying to duplicate what was done in the past. The difference was the pillar of fire and the cloud was not amongst them. God was not there. And no matter how hard we try to emulate and how hard we try to copy what we think is what Scripture does, without God, what's the point? And so we see here a man who is, and a group of people is trying to do everything right, except for having a relationship with God. And how many times does religious people try so hard, checking all the boxes, being discouraged, deflated, banging their head against the wall, and then like Nicodemus come to Jesus and says, what must a man do to be saved? You must be born again. Not of the water, but of the Spirit. Folks, I'm just trying to encourage you that you can try so hard on your own and never get there. But through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, he can save you from your sins. And so we see this man is now giving up his dignity, his honesty, all because he's motivated by self-promotion. He's serving himself. He serves whoever will pay him. In chapter 17, we see he's from Micah. He tells people what they want to hear, as he did with these, this group of uh, five spies. He ends up uh, uh, moving on to more impressive things in verse 19 and 20. His decisions are driven entirely by self-interest. Yet each one takes him farther from the Lord. He starts off in Bethlehem, Judah, which is a picture of God, of course, we know that David comes through there. We know that Jesus ultimately is born there. It's a picture of God's will. And he leaves that to go to the hill country of Ephraim in an idolatrous shrine. He then takes the next step and ends up in Laish, which is even out of the border of Israel. So he totally leaves the will of God. And may I say, when you start following your selfish interests, when you start following the flesh, when you start following selfish motives, you'll always end up out of the center of God's will. And so we see this man is willing to give it up, everything. We see he has achieved dizzying heights. 
He's running worship for an entire tribe of God's people. Yet it is hollow worship. He only does not know the true God. He only knows the God of self-promotion. So what, is, what happens? Look at verse 21. They returned and departed, put the little ones and the cattle and the carriage before them. Now why in the world would they do that? In those days, the men, the, the, the swordsmen, the, they were always leading the charge. But they put the children, they put the cattle and say, hey, you lead the way. We'll be in the back. Why? Because they knew Micah was going to come. And so they're fully prepared for it, which leads us, number, of course, the carriage is put before them. The expected pursuit, the carriage, of course, is where the valuables were, the precious image, the ephod, it's all there. It's all out front, which is so abnormal, but they know Micah's coming, which brings us to number three this morning, if you're writing, and that shows us the empty solitude of Micah. And here we have a man who essentially, in his mind, loses everything. The Bible says in verse 22, And when they were a good way from the house of Micah, the men that were in the houses near to Micah's house were gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. So what happens? Oh, Micah comes back and goes into worship and realizes the Levite's not there. He goes upstairs and realizes the ephod is gone. He realizes the shrine is gone. He realizes the teraphims are gone. And all these molten images, all these griffins, they're all gone. And he immediately realizes, I've lost everything, and it's from the Danites. So he gets his group together. He gets his servants and different men there. He goes, we got to go overtake them. Now, it wasn't hard to overtake them because you got uh, children and cattle and all that. They couldn't move very fast. But they did. They come up to him. And look at verse number uh, uh, 23. Of course, before we get into verse 23, Micah is a lot like another man. You remember Laban when Rachel... His daughter stole all the teraphims and the ephods, or I mean, and the, the images from him, and he took off after him, after her. Same thing here. Micah has an urgency. He's willing to risk his life to get these things back. And so we see in verse 23, and they cried unto the children of Dan, and they turned their faces and said unto Micah, What aileth thee that thou comest with such a company? Can you imagine the grim humor here? I mean, they put the children and cattle out front. They put their 600 armed guards in the rear, which never happens. And then Micah and his group comes up to him and they say, What's wrong? Why, why are you running up to us? Why are, you, why are you so mad? They are basically denying they did any of this. Which is prophesied in Genesis chapter number 49, verse 17. When Joseph, of course, is, or Jacob's giving a prophecy of Dan... He says this, Dan is a serpent on the way and adder in the path. That was what Dan became known for. He was a trickster like the serpent who beguiled Eve. And Dan here is acting like, what, what did we do? Why are you mad at us? When they knew full well what was wrong with them. And so, verse 24, Micah and he, Micah said, Ye have taken away my goods which I made and the priest, and ye are gone away. And what have I more? What is this that ye say unto me? What aileth thee? And he makes a statement in verse number 24 that should ring out loud and clear to you and me today. What have I more? Micah is essentially saying, I have nothing more of value in comparison to what you took away. Everything I hold dear, everything that's important to me, it wasn't his family. It wasn't his God. It was 
his possessions, his man-made religion, what he had built. It was gone, and he says, "What have I have nothing left. Folks, may I say, when we get to that point, that is a dangerous place to be. Uh, those that call themselves Christians and yet value their worldly conveniences over relationship with God is treading down a wrong path. You see, we mean to reckon our communion with God our greatest gain and the loss of God, the sorest loss. But Micah has it backwards. He has no relationship with God. Therefore, he is going to say, I've lost everything! And you and I can get to that point as well, right? If tomorrow you you woke up like Job and everything was gone, how would you respond? Well, we know what Job said. What did he say? Yeah, I will still praise thee. Why? Because Job had a relationship with God that no one could take away. And so we see this morning how you and I can oftentimes feel like we lose everything. When all, essentially, if we have God, we still have everything. In verse 25, And the children of Dan said unto him, Let not thy voice be heard amongst us, lest angry fellows run upon thee, and thou lose thy life, and with the lives of the whole household. The children of Dan says, Hey, you better stop complaining. You better stop reprimanding us. I'm just saying, if you keep stirring the pot, there's going to be some angry men here who are going to take you out. And so what did Micah say? Well, as worth the words of the William Wordsworth, the great poet, they should take who had the power and they should keep who could. Micah knew he didn't have the power to overtake these guys. And so the stronger ones gained uh, all these things and he had to turn around dejected. May I say, you and I this morning, if we make career our God, eventually we'll find our route to blessing blocked by someone who is stronger than us, who is more able than us, who is too well-connected or too lucky for us. If a person makes the image, their physical image, as their God, well, one day you're going to find that your youth and your good looks will, good looks will fl- fleet away. It reminds me of the little girl who was touching her grandpa's wrinkles and said something to the effect of, Daddy, uh, how did God made you? He said, I, he made me just like you did, with smooth skin. And, he, and, and she touched her face and says, oh, wow, God's making us better now. You know. <laughs> one day you'll lose it all. But you know one thing we can say with Peter? When the Lord asked him where they're going to go, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And may I say today, that we need to cry out like Peter did, Jesus, without you, what else do I have? You are my everything. Someone said this, if we know Jesus is ultimately all we have, we discover that he is eternally all we need. Let me say it again. When When we know Jesus is ultimately all we have, we will discover that he is eternally all we need. And the only way to protect yourself against such loss is to invest your life in living in the living God whom you can never lose. Micah thought he lost everything. And may I say, you and I can feel that way too at times. Though I'm not trying to slide over things maybe in your life. Maybe you truly have a broken relationship in your home or maybe you've lost something very dear to you or maybe 
someone manipulated you and, and got something from, maybe someone did something deep to you. We've all faced that. We've all faced hurts. I'm not, I'm not trying to excuse that. But I am saying, at the end of the night, we can always pillow our head and realize God is enough. Uh, I meant to give this to the men upstairs and I forgot, but I received a report this week from one of our missionaries in Vietnam. I had a picture of a little dress there. And it said, a lady in our church, we are, we are every spare bolt of cloth we can get. She makes dresses full time for all the kids that are homeless that live in the gutter just so they can have clean clothes. I couldn't help but sit there and think, wow, don't we have it good here in America? I mean, I know my, my one problem in my closet in my room is there's never enough room to hang stuff. Now, I like to blame it on my wife because she has too much of it, right? But at the end of the day, I do too. We've been blessed here. But yeah, how oftentimes we can get so shooken when at the end of the day, if we just have God, it is enough, is it not? Which brings me to number four, the unjust smiting of the Danites. So now the Danites have left Micah They pretty much said, you know, we're done with you. They overran him. They stole from him. They become this thieving band. And now they're ready to go and establish their new home. And the Bible says in verse 27, And they took the things which Micah had had made, and the priests which he had, and came unto Laish, and unto a people that were quiet and secure. So think about this. This is like a uh, Rockwell painting, if you will. I mean, just a pristine, perfect picture place. I mean, people are getting along and, uh, you know, the lowing of the cattle, the, the kids are outside playing and the gardens are green and everything's just great. It's just a picture perfect evening. And then this comes this mass of people over the ridge with swords and just start killing everybody, just start butchering. In fact, they smote them with the edge of the sword means an exterminating slaughter. They just go through and wipe out this crowd. Of course, as we'll see later, they have no deliverer. They're too far from Zidon. They're basically helpless. And Dan just comes and swoops in. And then it says they burnt the city. Some believe that maybe they were actually sacrificing to their newfound God. And saying, we are devoted and purging these people of this land. And we're going to come purify it with us. When all essentially, they were, they were more wicked than the others. And oftentimes people maybe say, well, they were actually destroying the Canaanites. They were actually doing what God said. But keep in mind, they were just as guilty as the Canaanites. They had turned to idolatry. They had turned to false worship. And God had commanded Israel to clean out and destroy certain cities because of their idolatry and wickedness. But Laish did not fall under that judgment. They were peaceful. And uh, Laish was also outside of the assigned boundaries of Dan. And so Dan is trying to justify what they're doing, and it's still wrong. And how oftentimes can we think we're doing the right thing when in all reality we're just justifying doing wrong? And so we see the tribe of Dan had no regard for God's God's laws, and they are now very far from God. And just because Dan uh, Dan is successful doesn't mean that they have God's approval. So we see verse 28, there was no deliverer, 
because it was far from Zidon. They had no business with any man. No one was there to help. So what did Dan do? They destroyed and then they built a city and dwelt therein. In verse 29, they called the name of the city Dan. After the name of Dan, their father. In verse 30, and the children of Dan set up the graven image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, and he and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. As soon as they have destroyed the city and rebuilt it, the first thing they do is build a temple, which, by the way, from what I've been told, it's still standing today. And they build this shrine, which is, of course, far from Shiloh, which is where they should have went. And they want to bring God there. They brought their own Levite, all these little gods, and they're ready to move forward for God. Um, But we see another verse in verse 30. And the children of Dan set up the graven image, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. And Jonathan is the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh is actually another name for Moses. And some commentators said that the writer here, Samuel, probably had such a hard time writing Moses in there. He wrote Manasseh because it was such a degrading thing for Moses. That not just one, but two generations removed from bondage in Egypt, now they find themselves doing the same exact thing the Egyptians were guilty of. And Jonathan, the grandson of Moses, is leading the charge. And so we see in Psalm 78, verse 58, God is not happy with this, for they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. So what they do? They set them up Micah's graven image in verse 31, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. Jonathan and his sons will go on ministering idolatrously, but it will not last forever because one day, the Bible says, until the day of captivity of their land. In 2 Kings 15, 29, we see that that day will eventually come. But until then, they're going to do their own thing. And it shows us that instead of doing this, Dan and Micah should have done in verse 31, all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. All the time, instead of creating their own God, their own religious center, they should have been spending time with God face to face. That just goes to show to you and I that God made it possible for people to approach Him, worship Him, and know and live with Him. But they chose to do it their own way. May I say, you and I have all given that opportunity to approach God, worship Him, Allow Him to be our Heavenly Father. Allow Him to be our Savior. But it comes to be a choice. Say, Pastor Justin, how do you know we have that open opportunity? I feel like I'm so far from God. I feel like I've tried. I can't connect. What is it? Well, the Bible says in John 1, verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. Do you realize this morning that Jesus left the splendors of heaven to come and be born in a manger and live amongst men and one day be crucified on the cross of Calvary, the, the worst possible death possible, for one reason, to pay for the sins of all mankind. And do you realize today that Jesus came for you and me? The Bible said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now you and I may be sitting here today saying, wait a minute here, I'm not lost. I, I found my way here just fine today. What we mean, he means by lost is we are in need of a Savior. The Bible says, Wherefore is by one man sin into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For all have sinned and come short. And that sin has a penalty. That penalty is death and hell, for the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that we have no hope without Jesus. 
unless we want to go to hell and pay for our sin. But Jesus Christ, in his love and mercy, said, hey, I'll be willing to die on a cross to pay for their sins. And that's a gift that Brother Vestal talked about earlier. For whosoever will, for God so loved the world that he gave, but God commends his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you believe this morning that Jesus was willing to do that for you and me? Will you accept that in your life? Micah is so far from that. He's lost. He's hopeless. He has no hope. Now, hopefully one day he found the truth. We don't know. But Danites are so far removed. Jonathan, of course, is leading people astray. You and I will have that same experience in our life unless we come to Christ. Will you come to him today? May I encourage us that through this entire incident, no one desired to worship God. They just want to use God for selfish gain. And you know, people sometimes come to church to feel better, to be accepted, to relieve a guilty conscience, maybe to gain gain business contacts. But that's not how why we should follow God for selfish gain. We should follow God for an intimate relationship with him. I want to encourage you today to come to Christ if you don't know him. And if you've strayed from him, will you reconnect with him and rededicate your heart to Christ? Maybe there's something in your life you need to get right with God. Don't live an empty life or selfish gain. It's so empty as Micah shows us. Don't be self-promoted like the Levite and try to gain, gain, gain. Because eventually in the end, uh, it, it stopped there. They weren't able to keep worshiping. God brought judgment. Let's instead decide to just do right and put Christ first. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Maybe someone hears today with heads bowed and eyes closed would say, Pastor Justin, I can't say I know for sure I'm going to heaven. I'll be honest with you. I, I thought I've tried good works. I've tried self-help books, tried what the world has to offer. I've tried so hard. But I've realized this morning that Jesus Christ came to save me from my sin. And I need his deliverance. Even Nicodemus, a, a great teacher of the law, came to that realization that he needs Christ and Jesus Christ alone. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I will not embarrass you. How many would say, Pastor Justin, if I could know for sure, I would love to know for sure I'm going to heaven. Will you pray for me with heads bowed and eyes closed? Just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you today. Anybody like that? God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Maybe in the balcony. God bless you. I see that hand. Several hands today. I want to encourage you today. There was a time in my life where I was in the same spot you were. I desperately wanted Christ. I wanted a relationship with him. But I didn't know exactly what to do. So my mom actually helped me pray and invite Jesus Christ to my life. And I can't save you. Only Jesus can do that. It's precious blood. But I can help you pray maybe a prayer that will invite Jesus in your life. Sometimes you feel like you're all thumbs. But say something like this in your heart. Say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I deserve to go to hell. But I don't want to go there. I believe and trust in you and invite you into my heart. Please come to my heart and save me and take me to heaven when I die. I repent of my way of thinking and invite you into my heart. Thank you, Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I will not embarrass you. But if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you meant it, 
Would you slip your hand real quick? I want to pray for you. Anybody like that? God bless you. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. I see that hand. Maybe there's someone that would say, you know what, Pastor Justin, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. But sometimes I feel like I've been like the scheming spies. I, I've tried to manipulate. I've tried to take something that's not mine. I've tried to deceive. I've tried to uh, get all wrapped up in superstition and, and the, the wealth of this world. And I even have been a little bit like the Levite. I've been self-promoting. I, I've always wanted to do the easiest past. I, I wanted to not really, really, really take into consideration what God's word says or God's counsel says. I want to just do my own thing. And I've realized today that leads to a, ultimately a life of emptiness, as Micah discovered. And I've decided today that I, I just want to forsake that and put God, I want him to be enough for me. If that's you this morning, will you slip your hand? I want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you all over, all over. And maybe there's someone that would say today, you know what, Pastor Justin, uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I feel like the message was, was helpful for me, but in all reality, I'm carrying a burden. I, I'm dealing with a financial struggle. I'm dealing with a health issue. I'm dealing with a relationship fracture. I'm, I'm dealing with guilt. I'm dealing with some frustration in my heart, and I've just been burdened today. Will you pray for me as well? If that's you this morning, will you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you all over. Lord, you see the hands. You know the hearts. Thank you for those who gave their life to you today. Or be with those who need to take that step of obedience, maybe baptism, outward expression of our inward decision, publicly saying, hey, we identify with Christ. Be with those maybe who are just uh, struggling with, with pursuing selfish gain as the spies, as the Levite, as Micah, and they come up empty. Or may they stop coming up empty because they plug themselves into you. And may you be enough for us. Lord, may we work hard. Lord, may we take care of our family. May we save. May we invest. May we, may, may, may we be smart. But may we not be driven by that. May we do that out of pleasing you and make you the centerpiece of our life. And I believe you want to bless your children. I believe you bless when we live by your principles of your word. And part of that is financial. Lord, I pray that we'll not get distracted, we'll not get overwhelmed, we'll not be consumed by things that can just leave us empty. Be with those this morning who are carrying burdens, Lord, that are struggling. I don't know what they all are, but I do know you are. You're the great physician. You own a cattle of a thousand hills. You can, you can uh, forgive. You can bring us back together. You can restore. You can do all those things. I pray that you'll start to do that in people's lives. We sure do love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could stand to your feet this morning, the piano is going to play. We have what's called an invitation here at our church. That's just a time for you to respond to the message that God has placed in your heart. Maybe you'd like to uh, take that next step of growth. Maybe you'd like one of our pastors to pray for you. Uh, maybe you would. You have some something you're struggling with. Maybe you would uh, like to follow in baptism, or maybe you'd like to be interested in joining the church. We'd love to talk to you about all those things. But I want to encourage you this morning uh, to do exactly what God would have you do, and may you continue to to go forward for Christ. May you give it to God. We all have aches and pains in our hearts. Sometimes we have deep-rooted things that we're dealing with. I'm thankful for the cross. It can help us with all those things. 
Jesus is there to bring healing, to bring help, bring forgiveness, and to help us as we grow in our Christian walk. seated. Uh, thank you so much for coming today, and, and I appreciate your you know, listening, and what a blessing that was. We have a video we're going to share with you, just a, a few announcements coming up. I want to encourage you to keep those in mind, and then we'll be on our way today. morning and thank you for joining us today. We hope this morning's service was a blessing to you. Join us tonight at 5 for our Level Up teaching and training modules. Come and choose two of the modules on various topics from the lineup. Don't miss the special time of training with something for every Christian. The Grandview Nursery is looking for volunteers to serve once or twice a month. If this is a place you'd like to serve, please sign up at the welcome desk or see Miss Alicia Lincoln. We're excited about Team Camp coming up July 31st through August 4th. If you've not signed up for Team Camp or you've not paid, you can do so online at grandviewcares.com. The buses will load tomorrow morning at 4.30 a.m. and we'll try to leave by 5. The Israel trip is coming up in January. Normally we have many people interested and already I've talked to many people that have said they are, but you have not signed up yet. In the next month or two, we've got to finalize that. So if you are interested, please sign up very quickly. Our Young Adult Conference will be held Friday and Saturday, August 11th and 12th with Pastor Kurt Skelling. The conference cost is only $25 and starts on Friday at 5, with Saturday sessions beginning at 8.30 a.m. and ending by 1. If you or someone you know is interested in attending, you can learn more from the information on the schedules at the Welcome Desk or by going to our website, grandviewcares.com forward slash events. Don't forget to join us today following our 11 a.m. service for a starting point class. Explore membership at Grandview, find out more about growing in your relationship with Christ, and get connected with our church. Enjoy a delicious meal while learning to take the next step in your journey of faith here at Grandview. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon and we will see you tonight at 5. Well, God bless you guests. I hope you'll allow us to connect with you and returning guests and everyone else. Have a great day. Uh, Starting point will start in just a few minutes down the Abundant Life classroom. You are dismissed. (laughs) 